Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for this beautiful day that you've allowed us to come out, worship together. Help Pastor Tom speak through him, open our hearts. Let us take what he uh, let us take what he gives us, take it and apply it to our everyday lives. Pray for the children as they come forward and participate in children's church. Allow them to also open their hearts. Once again, thank you for allowing us to uh, to come out here, worship together, and praise your name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Welcome to Hope. Good morning. It's good to have you with us as we worship God together here today. If you are visiting with us or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to fill out this piece of paper in your bulletin, drop it in the bucket on your way out, and we will follow up with you accordingly. Um, there is a prayer time before our service at 945 uh, that you are invited to participate in. If you uh, have need for prayer, you can come to that meeting and make prayer requests or just pray for your needs among uh, others. And uh, you are also invited, if you want to sort of enrich your prayer life, to come and learn and grow in your uh, abilities to pray. Um, and also, if you ever need prayer while you're here, uh, you can always tap one of our deacons or one of our elders or one of our prayer team members and just ask them for a moment to pray, and you can do that in the library after church or right here or whatever you want. It's You're free to pray. We like that. We encourage that. A um, couple things going on around here that you should know about. Uh, first of all, um, you can always go on to our website and update your personal information. Um, <clears throat> I just discovered something this week. I... Uh, I sent an email out to a bunch of the men in the church, and or I'm sorry, I sent a text message. I, I go to the online portal, I select for all the men in the church, and then I send out a text message. And then I, I was someone was talking about the gathering that we had, and another man was like, I didn't hear about that. And I went to his profile, and his cell phone number was not in his profile. So if you don't mind, Go online, go to our website, click through to our member to our online portal, and then make sure your information is correct. It's also helpful if you click the male or female button, and that way when we sort for those things, you're in the right group. All right. What? Yeah. Well, if you want if you want to be communicated with, that's what we encourage. Um, all right, uh, let's see, Tuesday nights, we have resumed, ha ha ha ha, see what I did there, our Tuesday night Bible study via Zoom, uh, I don't know if Joe or Mark is coming up here today or not, that's okay, don't need you, um, but you can Zoom in on Tuesday night at 7 to the same Zoom channel that we uh, project our services through, and the focus is really on strengthening God's word within you, and so there'll be some uh, key passages of our faith that will be uh, explored and reinforced and discussed, 
and then you are encouraged to um, take those with you into the week and reinforce them in your own ways. But uh, that's going on Tuesday nights at 7. And then our current sermon series, <clears throat> you are encouraged to um, go to our website, click on the banner for uh, our, uh, that will link you to our Sign Up Genius. And we are, we are making treats for each week of this sermon series. We are looking at Old Testament festivals, um, none of which are more festive than today's, by the way. So we're going to have some fun today. We've done things a little bit differently, um, and you'll see what I mean by that in a minute. But um, <clears throat> you can sign up on that Sign Up Genius to make and bring some treats to hope on each of the Sundays of our exploration of traditional Jewish or Old Testament festivals, um, and I'm told that next week's recipe is honey cakes, and there may be some Hope Church honey involved in next week's, in one of next week's offerings. So um, please uh, sign up to bring, and we will um, have a great time. Uh, we need uh, Blueprint Ministries. Our youth group does a trip with Blueprint every summer to fix up homes for people living at one and a half times the national poverty level or less in terms of their annual income. And we, we, there are groups coming in from all over the country over spring break uh, this year, right now, and they are looking for volunteers to serve in their kitchen to uh, just you know, be a smiling face who helps make that all happen for their uh, groups that are in town right now. You can sign up, you can go to our website and click through to the Blueprint website, or you can just go to the Blueprint website and sign up there. But please, if you're available, they're looking for help. We have a women's gathering coming up on Saturday, March 18th at 6 p.m. I'm told there will be Bunko. There will also be an announcement of some smaller group offerings for women that will be ongoing beyond that point. So it's just a way to gather everyone it's not a bait and switch. We're not, we're not doing like a Bible study or anything. We're just going to play Bunko and announce some upcoming small group opportunities for those who are interested. So um, what else? Okay. Need you to save another date. It's a month from now, April the 6th. It's a Thursday night. And this is the night traditionally on the church calendar called Maundy Thursday. It's the night of the Last Supper. And we're going to reenact uh, a Jewish Passover Seder with some Christian themes brought forward. And it's a full meal. And at the same time, it's a educational and sort of corporate church family event. We have seats for 80 people. We're, we're planning to be able to handle 80 for dinner. And the way you get a ticket is by signing up to clean up, set up, cook, whatever the, whatever the categories are. Um, so that's how that's going to work. And it's, it's, there's no monetary cost, but we do need a lot of people to pull this off. This is a big deal. And uh, it should be really uh, enriching and meaningful. And, and it's intended for, like, in to be multi-generational. So there's things for kids that are part of this Seder meal, and there's things for everybody else that are part of this Seder meal. And so we encourage you to mark your calendars for that, and when the sign-up is out, um, 
figure out how you want to contribute to making that event happen and get your tickets that way. Ha ha. All right. Is that coercion? Because I'm okay with that. All right. We'll work for food. Um, all right. And we have another, uh, our March men's night was not coming together from the leaders of that group just didn't have a Friday night. They were all, or even a majority of them, were available in the same weekend. So we've pushed that to the Friday after Easter, and we will get together then and resume our uh, genu general, general um, what do we want to call that? Masculine activities. We grunt, we eat, we grunt some more. Yes, meeting with an M-E-A-T-I-N-G. Um, so that's coming up. That we're, we're just pausing for March. We will resume in April. That's what you need to know there. Anything I'm forgetting? Daylight savings time starts next week for the last time, presumably. No? They didn't, that didn't go through? Idiots. They can't do anything. The one thing everyone agrees on and they still can't get that done? Wow. Um, all right, so next Sunday, come an hour early and you'll be on time. Who, who am I to talk? <laughs> all right, let's move on. Okay, at this time, I need two different groups of people to come down to the front if you are in fifth grade or younger, you are among our most important people, and I need you to start making your way up here for the children's chat. And then if you are one of my readers today, I would like to invite you to come forward at this time. Bienvenidos. Adelante. Okay. I'm going to need your help this morning. Can you help me? All right. So I'm going to need someone, one of you, I can do two of you, that'll work. Will you play Queen Esther for me? All right. What? Here, you hold that one, and it's like a mask. There you go. And then, Mila, you can be a queen, too. You just hold that up to your head. There you go. Can you all come up here? Can you be a dragon? Sure. I'm cool with that. But I have something else that I need help with. Um, Avery, can you come help me? Caden, can you come help? How about a king? Would you like to be a king? Just you just hold that, look through the eyes. But I could be a dragon. You can be a dragon king. How's that? I, could be a I don't have a dragon. You want a beard? I can give you a beard. Here, y'all come up here. Okay. So this, you know what this is? How did you know that was a scroll? Because it says scroll. Okay. All right. Fair enough. 
Can you pull the top of that scroll out? Okay. And now, Caden, can you untie that? Pull. Yeah, there you go. You got it. It's, it's part of the Bible. It's the scroll of Esther. All right, now, Caden, I want you to grab this part, and you're going to let him spin that. You're going to walk that way. All right. Okay, that's far enough. Now you back up that way. So traditionally, in a Jewish synagogue on this very day, the, the 13th day of Adon, um, the entire Esther scroll is read out loud. There's a scroll. The entire Esther scroll is read out loud in the synagogue, and the celebration, the festival of Purim is celebrated. Is it all the way out? Keep going. I want all of it, man. So this, and, and I was told by a source that I trust implicitly in these matters that I was not to make you sit through the reading of the entire Esther scroll. Um, all right, back up, back up, go that way. We're getting there. So a couple things, a couple pieces of background I want you to know. So we're going to, I'm going to read we are going to read some excerpts from the book of Esther. Esther was an Israelite who was living in exile in Persia. That's a smile. You're a queen with a smile. I love it. All right. So Esther lived in Persia as an exile, and it occurred to me, uh, Neil Farr showed up at church a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and introduced herself, and she is from Afghanistan. And her native language is a dialect of Farsi, which is the language that Esther would have spoken when she was doing her speaking parts in this story. And so I'm going to read some excerpts from the book of Esther, and when we get to the parts that are um, Esther's voice, or verses that include Esther's voice, I'm going to Turn it over to Nilofar. She's going to read that verse in a, her own dialect of Farsi. And then Elisa, also a refugee in exile, if you will, um, is going to read in Spanish. And then Juliana, Esther, Esther was adopted as a child, and Juliana is, uh, was adopted as a child. And so she's going to read the verse in English so Yuz can understand it. Um, but it's, I just thought it would be a, a nice collection of voices and languages. You can hold the scepter, yes. Uh, and so y'all turn it this way. So this side is in Hebrew, which is the only language that matters, because we'll be speaking that in eternity. There you go. Can you turn it up? Put the point up. There you go, just like that. Caden, hold it out. Stretch it a little bit. There you go. That's supposed to be a noisemaker. Ah, thank you. Okay, so whenever you hear the name Haman, right, you're supposed to hiss. Here's the, here's the history behind it. In this story, Haman tries to, thank you, 
erase the Jewish people from the face of the earth. So every time his name is said, the Jewish people or God's people are to drown out the memory of his name. Does that make sense? So anytime you hear the name Haman, thank you. All right. Very good. Okay. We'll do that later. All right. I think we are almost ready. That is for you. And you do have to hold it uncomfortably close to your mouth to be heard. All right. Um, but as, as, as we do this and as you hear these voices, I want you to reflect on the, the millions of women around our planet who are either in exile or living under oppression uh, to some degree. And I want you to hear their voices through the voice of Esther this morning. Um, so with that, we will begin. I'm going to be reading uh, from Esther chapter 2. I'm just excerpts from Esther. I'm not going to try to keep up with all this. All right. So the book of Esther opens, and there's a king of Persia, and he has a, a cri- he's kind of a Henry VIII type figure, and he, he deposes his current wife from the throne, and he's looking for a new bride. And we will pick up in chapter 2, verses, uh, well, I'm not going to worry about all the references. You've got them there in front of you. They'll be on the screen behind me. Um, One more. (laughs) There's a lot of background here. Um, Esther's name in Hebrew is Hadassah, and her name in Persian is Esther. It's okay. You can just, yeah, whatever you want. All right. Here we go. The he in verse 7 is Mordecai. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Then jumping forward to the point where the king finds another wife, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen. And then uh, there's another figure in this story. Uh, his name is Haman. Thank you. Um, and he is a, a descendant of Agag, uh, who was supposed to be killed by King Saul, don't, here, don't hit the scroll. Don't turn around. Let everybody see how beautiful you are. Right here, back up. All right. That's good. Stop. Back up. Bring it. This is, a, this is great. This is, this is awesome. <laughs> Could not have planned this better. Okay. <clears throat> so I want you to pay attention here because the person that, that is mentioned next um, His ancestor was supposed to be killed by King Saul. King Saul didn't do his job. And now 500 years later, a descendant of this person shows up to try to bring, to try to exterminate the Jewish people. All right? And a woman, a Jewish woman, is going to be the one who brings him down. It's awesome. This is good stuff. All right. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman... Thank you. The Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. 
And the expectation was all other court officials were to bow to this man. Here you see. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. So then Mordecai sends a communication to Queen Esther, and she replies back and says, you realize if I go to the king without him summoning me, I can be executed for appearing before him. And this is Mordecai's reply. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Ve y reúna a todos los judíos que están en Susa para que ayunen por mí. Durante tres días no coman ni beban, ni de día ni de noche. Yo por mi parte ayunaré con mis doncellas al igual que ustedes. Cuando cumpla con esto, me presentaré ante el rey, por más que vaya en contra de la ley. Y si perezco, que perezca. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So... She goes to the king, she invites the king and Haman to a banquet, to a feast, and they, they come and she, she tells them, the king says, what is it that you want? She says, I'm going to have another feast tomorrow and I will tell you then. And so uh, Haman goes home and this is where we pick up, he's talking to his wife in this text. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Tzeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows of 50 cubits high be made and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. And Haman told his wife Seresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. So he had, he had, expre he had gone to this, well, anyway, 
they realize he's in conflict with Mordecai, that Mordecai is Jewish, and this is what um, the wise men and his wife say. Then the wise men, his wise men and his wife Zedesh said to him, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. İster cevapta takazayman ines, eğer mevrudu lütfü padişah karar giriftem ve eğer padişah salah bedanet, canı van ve canı kavmu mara nicat dehen. Çün men ve kavmu men fırıhta şudayım, takatla ağım şavim. Eğer fakat mesle barda fırıhta mi şudayım, men sukut mi girdim ve muzayimati beray padişah icat nemi namudam. Vali aknun da khatar nabudi hastayım. Esther respondió, si me he ganado el favor de su majestad y si le parece bien, mi deseo es que conceda la vida. Mi petición es que se compadezca de mi pueblo, porque a mí y a mi pueblo se nos ha vendido por exterminio, muerte y aniquilación. Si solo se nos hubiese vendido como esclavos, yo me habría quedado callada, pues tal angustia no sería motivo suficiente para inquietar a su majestad. If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Is it my turn again? I was herding cats. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who has dared to do this? Esther answered, The enemy of this Haman is the enemy of the king of the king of the king of the king of the king of the king. The adversary and enemy is this miserable Haman, responded Esther. Haman was terrorized by the king and the king. A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. I forgot us. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had pre prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. Then Esther spoke to the king again. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman, the Agagite, and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. The king allowed the Jews, who were in every city, to gather and defend their lives. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, in the on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter and of what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written at the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. And listen to this closer. Then the command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. All right. If y'all can roll that back up, you don't have to do a good job. 
flip it. There you go. Thank you. That was beautiful. I'll take that. Thank you so much. So, weirdly, for most of the history of the church and all of the history of Judaism uh, prior to the past couple of centuries, um, children were a part of worship. They were a natural, normal part of being in God's family. And the idea is they belong here. And so um, I wanted to keep them in for that reading, uh, just mainly for that purpose. Uh, but at this time, I'm going to say a prayer over you guys, and here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. The book of Esther is about God's faithfulness. Y'all are going to go back to Hope for Kids in just a second, and when you do, you're going to get dressed as kings and queens or a dragon, and you're going to come, when you hear the last song start to play, you're going to come back into the sp- to, to this space, and you're going to march around, and you're going to make everybody get out of their seats and follow you back down the hall to where we have some treats, okay? So you're going to go, you're, I'm going to pray for you, you're going to go get dressed, there's some coloring books with Esther and all that kind of stuff, and then you'll come back and lead a parade. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. Dear God, thank you for these precious children Thank you for this day to celebrate your faithfulness. We pray your blessing over them and over us as we uh, reflect on your word. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Y'all, have fun. What's a long time? Oh, right. Yeah, I, I, lo- I, I lost them at treats. They never do. They never do. So, um, yeah, I, f- I found this on a, like, Christian bookstore, and I was like, gotta have it. Gotta have it. And traditionally in a synagogue, the Esther scroll would be read in its entirety on this day. Um, you got the Reader's Digest version, but that's okay. Um, and uh, let me just begin with a little word of prayer, and we will be kind of focus our hearts on, on what he wants for us this morning. God, our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the bravery of women in the history of redemption to inspire us even today to take your word to heart, to live it out, and to take risks for the sake of your glory, your kingdom, your people. And Father, we pray that you would speak to us now as we reflect on your word, open our hearts to what you would have to say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, so much, so much, uh, I think... Just, yeah, man. Okay, a couple of pieces of background. The, the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible where God is not mentioned or named or referenced at any point. So we, we did a series recently on nameless women, 
and one of the points that I tried to make, nameless woman in the Bible, one of the points I tried to make is sometimes when a storyteller is, is doing their job really well, they will withhold a name for various reasons. And one of those reasons might be so that you can kind of see yourself in the story instead of thinking, oh, this is only about a woman named Elizabeth. If the name is withheld, then you might be better able to place yourself in the narrative uh, as a reader. In this case, I think, as I, as I look at the book of Esther as a piece of literature, first of all, it is a masterful work. Um, and I think what the author was doing was, was multifaceted. In one sense, this is a time where most Israelites had been moved out of their homeland and they were living in exile. And God felt very far away. He felt like he was not there. And so the book sort of reflects this idea. And yet, when the author withholds any reference, direct reference to God, it causes the reader to start looking for God. And you saw in the passage, like Esther calls for three days and three nights of fasting. Well, what is that other than calling people to make supplication to their God for help? And Mordecai says to Esther, like, if you don't do this, um, God the, or the Jewish people will be saved some other way. How other, what other way would there be other than divine intervention? And so there's all these implied ways in which God is involved in the story of Esther, but the lack of mention sort of forces the reader to really invest in looking for where God shows up in this narrative. And of course, the story is really about God's faithfulness, and, and then he doesn't need to be named uh, to, to, for us to know that he's at work. And so the book itself, as a piece of literature, if you think of a V, like in the beginning uh, chapter, there is the greatness of the king Ahasuerus, which was probably the same person as Artaxerxes, if you read history. Um, but that king has two banquets, and he celebrates his greatness, and there is the downfall of a queen and the rise of Esther. Uh, at the end of the book, there are two, two days of banquets, or two, day, two feast days, there is the rise of Mordecai to the position of second in command in Persia and the establishment of Esther's authority as queen. And you saw that last line. She actually has the authority to say that which will be written. That's a big deal in, in ancient times. And so you see these two bookends, and then chapters like three and four are reflected in in other port, like it's a perfect V. If you, you go down, and then there's the kind of the pivotal moment in the book where Mordecai uh, falls at the hand, I'm sorry, where Haman falls at the hand of Mordecai. That's right in the middle. And then the, the events of the chapters leading to that are then reversed and literarily borne out in the other direction. So you see, like, the threatened fall of Israel, and then the salvation, the death of their enemy, and the salvation and the victory of Israel coming back out. It's just, it's so well written. I highly recommend, if you haven't done this, 
go to a website called thebibleproject.com and just watch their video overview of the book of Esther. It is phenomenal. And they actually show you the structure of the book and this sort of V-shaped literary component. And it's just unbelievable, right, (laughs) that there's so much structure. And in that structure is the hand of God. It is clear. It is obvious um, throughout the plot of the narrative. And so there's my theory that God is not mentioned because he, the author is brilliant and they want the reader to actually be asking the question, is this God? Is this Esther? Is this God or is it Mordecai? Is it what's going on, right? And so it just beautifully draws the reader in. And here we are. Um, as I, in a pre, just the sermon series prior to this, we did sort of a, a crystallized understanding of the basic themes of the Old Testament. The book of Esther falls under one of the historical books, and the theme of the historical books is God's covenant faithfulness. That's what you see lived out in these pages. We are to know from reading the book of Esther, first and foremost, that God is faithful to his people. He made a covenant promise, and he is faithful to keep his covenant promise. God is faithful, the book of Esther tells us, even when he feels far away. When you're going through any circumstance in life that makes you feel distant from God, God is there. He is faithful. He is working. This is true to the orphan and to the exile, and it is true to those in every walk of life. That God is faithful. This is what the book of Esther tells us. And if you think about this young woman, as she uh, loses her parents, she's adopted by her cousin, her older cousin, and she is raised without much of a future and ends up becoming the queen of Persia. This is just like a rags-to-riches story, just in that sense alone, but it's much more than that. And she demonstrates that God's grace, God's faithfulness is available to all of us. So we move on. We keep looking at this passage, at these passages, the story, for what it has to say to us. And we see that God is faithful to his people even when we don't deserve it. Now, you, could, you can argue with me on this point if you want to. Um, but if you read the Old Testament, it, particularly the first five books and particularly um, Leviticus, it is very clear that good Jewish girls are only supposed to marry good Jewish boys, right? Um, so in one sense, Esther should never have put herself forward, nor should have Mordecai put her forward as a candidate for marriage to a Persian king. In addition to that, it appears when you you read the entire book, which I highly recommend, by the way, it's a a great read, um, they do not appear to be living by Jewish dietary standards. You may remember the prophet Daniel, uh, when he was living in Persia, refused to eat the king's food. Uh, because it would have contained things that were against God's law. 
um, Esther and Mordecai do not appear to adhere to this standard. They do not appear to be um, observant Jews in that sense. And yet, they are a central, pivotal part of God's plan. That God's faithfulness, faithfulness applies to us even though we don't deserve it even though we may have not lived in such a way that we should be in good standing with God, if you follow where I'm going there. God is faithful even when we don't deserve it because of who he is, not because of what we do. His faithfulness is based on his character, his goodness, his heart of love, his heart of grace. That is who God is. His heart is to love, to redeem, to restore, to renew, to give hope and grace to his people. The book of Esther is not there just to remind us that God is faithful to his people, but that he is also faithful to his promises. There is a great cosmic battle that plays out in this book. And, and you'll, you'll miss it if you're not reading a good um, commentary or something. And it, it's simply this. When, when Haman appears in the narrative, he is named as a son of Agag. All right? Agag was a Canaanite leader that went to battle against Israel and the first king of Israel, whose name was Saul, was, suppo- was, was ordered by God to put Agog to death and his entire family. And here's, sometimes you read the Old Testament and you're like, why would God tell people to kill an entire family? Like, that sounds really cruel. What you don't understand about that is these, in, in, this, in these cultures... Let's say you are orphaned by someone killing your parents. You have a cultural obligation to grow up and seek vengeance on behalf of those who were wronged. And if you don't do that, you will be banned from your tribe. And so you're almost like raised to grow up and take out. And so God understanding like these are my enemies and they're my enemies now, and they will always be my enemies if you don't finish them off, I guess. Um, And King Saul does not kill the, the tribal leader, Agog, when he was told to. And he loses his, uh, his um, what do you call it, when his, his king's son succeeds the king? Dynasty. He loses his right to royal dynasty as a result, and David, a boy, is anointed king instead, not a descendant of Saul. So Saul loses his privilege of perpetuating his royal dynasty by not killing this enemy of God. And then 500 years later, in the story of Esther, here this guy pops up again. He too had been taken into exile, his family his people, his culture. And here they are, enemies of one another for 500 years, 
and their descendants appear in the court of the king of Persia. And the battle between good and evil continues to play out. And I love, I just love the irony that a Jewish young woman is the one who brings down the enemy of God, that a Jewish king was commanded to bring down 500 years before. You go, girl. Yeah, girl power right there. Woo! I have two daughters, so I'm all about it. Um, you have three, so you got me beat. But, okay. Um, this faithfulness to his promises is God's faithfulness to overcome the bat- in the battle of good and evil, to overcome sin and evil, to emerge victorious for us in this ancient battle. And so you see several echoes of a coming Messiah in the book of Esther that I think are beautiful and powerful and helpful, actually, to understanding the heart of God and the way that God's rhythm works throughout history. You see, I'm going to go back to um, chapter 4, verse 16. And Esther says, go and gather all the Jews found in Susa, hold a fast on my behalf, do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. Hello. Anybody else see that? Like going into a dark place for three days, no food, three days, three nights. On the third day, he rose again, right? And there's this beautiful rhythm in God's word of these little echoes that really you don't see until you're looking back from the cross at everything previous. But Esther knows that her God is faithful, and she somehow summons up this three-day period of being without the the whole, I mean, it's just, to me, it's clear. I don't know. People might disagree with me. And I mean, I think, let me put it this way. If, if I were having this conversation with a Jewish rabbi, he, he, would, he or she would not see it this way. They would not agree with me, right? And that's okay. It's, it's a literary choice that the reader has to make. I think I see it. Um, and there are other echoes that we will reflect on as well. But... The, the battle between good and evil, it's not just Esther's victory over Haman. Thank you. Um, it's Christ's victory over sin and death. And he gives us this victory by offering his own life for God's people. And you see with Esther that she is willing, you know, then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She's willing to give up her own life for the sake of saving her people. If that's not an echo of the cross, I'm not sure what is. If if it's nothing else, it's brave. And she knew that walking into the king's court without an invitation, immediately the king's bodyguards would put their spears to your chest or your belly. And if the king did nothing... You were gone. 
they would keep going. If the king raised his scepter, then they would stop, and they would wait for him to say what, they, what he wants them to do. So when Esther does this in the story, she walks into his court, and the spears come out, and the scepter comes out. And the king says, what is it that you want? She says, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prepare a feast for you tomorrow, um, you and Haman, I'm sorry, Haman, and um, please come. And he does. And anyway, there's this strange deal where she has them to a feast, and then the king says, now what is it that you want? And she says, I'm going to have another feast tomorrow, and you're both invited, I'll tell you then. And it's, it's, this, it's this literary structure that, that boils down to this pivotal point where there's a feast on either side of Haman's exposure, if you will. Thank you. You're good at that. Um, okay, I will try to keep going. This is God's faithfulness. It's a picture of God's faithfulness to overcome sin and evil by offering his own life for God's people by dying on a wooden implement of execution. Uh, there's a bit of um, difficulty with the translation of uh, the gallows in this passage. It, it could have been just a tall wood tree trunk with a spike at the top that a, the executed person would have been placed upon. Um, and in case you're thinking Esther was just a sweet little girl, um, after Haman is executed on the device he created to uh, execute Mordecai, the king says to Esther, like, what else do you need, my dear? And she says, I would like the bodies of his sons stacked on there too. <laughs> They're already gone. They're ar they already passed away. But I, I, I, can't, I can't really tell you, like, that sounds barbaric to us. To Esther, it was the right thing to do. Like you, these were the enemies of God's people. It needs to be clear to everyone who's in charge, and that is the God of Israel. And so, uh, yeah, she was, she had guts. I like the girl, I really do. Um, woman, excuse me. My, my youngest daughter always corrects me when I call her a girl. She's what, 21? Yeah, <laughs> until she turns 40, then she'll like it, um, says the 39-year-old over here. All right. This is indicative of how the battle between good and evil will be borne out on the cross, that one will give his life as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of others, that one will risk his life for the salvation of his people. God is faithful to his promise to overcome sin and evil and to bring about our redemption. There is a great phrase in chapter 9, verse 1. Let me see if I can find it. There it is. Um, now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar on the Jewish calendar, on the thirteenth day of the same, by the way, today is the 13th of Adar on the Jewish calendar. We're there. This is the day. Um, 
The king's command and edict were about to be carried out on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. All right. Um, what did Christ do on the cross? He, he reversed so many things. The the penalty for our, the wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. The penalty for our rebellion against God is eternal separation. Jesus said, put that on me. Let me take that penalty. Let me take that death that my people may be forgiven and free. And you see this, this thumbprint of God on the story of Esther that he he reverses the poles. He takes what was meant for evil and he makes it good. And the very implement that the forces of evil thought would defeat the Son of God was the very implement by which he brought salvation to his people. The very thing, the very day, he reversed the power of sin to bring about our redemption. And he established our life eternal. I'm going to read to you, this is just to close this, this message. I want to read to you, if I can find it, um, a passage from, I just lost my reference, Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. See if you don't hear virtually all of the themes of Esther echoed in these in these verses and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. These are the same themes. The themes of the cross are the themes of the book of Esther. And we are to know that our God is faithful. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the bravery of this young woman to stand up in a time when it was risky to her to risk even her life for the sake of saving her people. And we thank you that she was but a reflection of your heart for us, that you were willing to go to the cross to reverse our shame, to take it upon yourself and take upon yourself the penalty for our sin that we might be free and forgiven and remember that you are the God who is faithful. All right. So I think we're supposed to have an offertory. Are you prepared for that? Let me, let me do that real quick. All right? All right. Just for a moment, I'm going to have a moment of silent prayer before we go wild in here. Um, but uh, I want to just invite you in this time to offer yourself to God as he has offered himself to you.
to reflect on his love, his sacrifice, his grace, his heart, his gift of life eternal, that you have hope that he wants you to come into his family, to be a part of his kingdom, and to extend and use the gifts that he's given you for his glory, for his people. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would include us in your will this week, that you would show us ways that you want us to step forward and be light to the world. Lord, as we pause now, we just offer ourselves to you as you have offered yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, fill us.